Well, it is a joy to be with you. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good to see everybody. Welcome everybody here in the worship center, all the folks that are with us in the chapel, everybody that is joining us online, wherever you are. It is my my honor to say welcome to uh, this place of worship today. You know, I can just say this. Our friend Moses over here, we should... We've, uh, for those of you who don't, don't know Moses, we've, uh, we've watched Moses grow up from the time that uh, Jenny and the family brought him from Sierra Leone, and we've watched him grow and mature, and I tell you what, if anybody can give us a lesson on how to joyously worship the Lord, Moses can. And so Moses, thank you very much. Last week, Moses was breaking out in a sweat. He was uh, fully, fully, fully engaged. So uh, imagine for a moment that you actually like to play golf. It's hard for me to imagine. I've played several times, and I don't need my blood pressure to be that high, and I don't need to be that angry that often. So imagine you love to play golf, and imagine you watch the Golf Channel, and you subscribe to Golf Digest, and you love to talk with your friends about golf. And one day, you get a text from Tiger Woods inviting you. He's going to fly you to Pebble Beach, California, and you're going to spend the weekend with him playing golf, and he's going to help you hone your skills and get better at the game of golf. Would you accept the invitation? That's exactly right. We, yeah, you would accept the invitation, right? Because whatever area of passion you have, all of us would jump at the chance to meet with the person who is the absolute best in the field in that particular area. So now I want you to put on this imagination hat. Imagine if there is something that you could learn from Jesus in a personal meeting. What would that be? Just imagine that for a minute. You had an opportunity to meet with Jesus and learn from him what he is a master at. What would it be? Now, the closest followers of Jesus, they had observed his life. They had watched him, how, how he went about expressing amazing compassion, how he had such fierce, bold confidence. They watched him as he was willing to stay so totally focused on God's direction for his life in the midst of all kinds of pressure. They experienced him having extraordinary joy. They saw and listened to his amazing wisdom. And they asked him the question that they saw to be the fountain of all of that when they asked him this. Luke chapter 11 Verse 1, you're not going to see it on the screen. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. If there's anything that was at the source of Jesus' amazing life, it was that Jesus prayed. You, you read the, the accounts of his life in the Gospels, Jesus 
prayed at his baptism. Jesus prayed in his temptation. Jesus prayed before he selected his closest followers. Jesus prayed whenever a miracle was needed. Jesus prayed whenever there was celebration to be given. Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Jesus knew how to pray, and prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to learn how to pray. We can pray because Jesus taught us how. Jesus taught us how to pray. And so what we're going to do today, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon that's ever been preached. We've been walking through it all year long. We're going to jump into another section of the Sermon on the Mount. And this series is called Well Prayed. What does it mean to be a person who has well prayed? Now, before we get to Jesus' prayer that he taught us to pray, you need to know that right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus alerts us to something that will hinder life with God, that will hinder healthy growth as a Christ follower, and will stumble us up in this whole area of prayer. And do you know what that is? The desire for the approval of others. The disease to please. And all of us struggle with it a bit. If you say, listen, I don't care what other people think, you're a liar. Because every human being has built within them this desire to please. Now, maybe you don't care what most of the people think, but the truth is we all struggle a bit with addiction approval. We are looking for somebody to prop us up, somebody to make us feel significant, for somebody to notice that we are here, for somebody to actually think that we matter, for someone to go, I recognize all that you have done. And we struggle with that a bit. And Jesus is saying that particular struggle is going to hinder you from experiencing the fullness of God, especially in the area of prayer. So what I want to talk about is four ways to heal the disease to please. And if you're taking notes, here's the first step. Determine your audience. Determine your audience. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. A number of years ago, I was watching the People's Choice Award, and I heard Kenny Rogers, the singer Kenny Rogers, if you don't know who he is, the gambler guy, remember him? And if you're a little bit older, Ruby James, thank you very much. God bless you. That's right. <laughs> You want to see my bald and gray head? So uh, anyway, at the People's Choice Award, he got up to give his uh, acceptance speech, and he says this, entertainers rise or fall on the approval of the audience. Everybody listening to me is an entertainer. Every one of us is an entertainer. And the question that has to be answered is, who's your audience? Who is it that you are living your life for? Jesus is saying, listen, 
Be careful not to practice your good deeds in front of the wrong audience to receive from them their approval and miss the ultimate audience of one. Interesting fact, 2016 in Mumbai, India, they established 16 no-selfie zones after there was a series of deadly accidents. Can't take, can't take a selfie here, can't take a selfie here. And evidently, Mumbai is not the only place that has recognized the rise of accidents when people are trying to take selfies. Washington Post ran an article a number of years ago and, and said that there were at least 250 people died recently while attempting to take selfies. And the data reveals this. Drowning was the number one cause of selfie death, followed by vehicles, falling, firearms, animal attacks, and electrocution. Evidently, our desire to be seen is literally killing us. Literally. We all want our lives to matter, right? Hello, that's an opportunity for you to respond to me. We all want our lives to matter, right? Everybody wants their life to matter, but in a celebrity-saturated culture, we've come to believe that our lives matter only if we are noticed, recognized, approved of, and affirmed, and get enough likes. That's when my life really does matter. The deep longing to matter is the reason that social media has been fueled to the flame that it is. We want somebody, anybody, to take notice of us, to care for us, and to see us, and to like us. Sky Jacini put it like this, we go online to find a witness to our lives, but what we're really searching for on social media is someone to tell us, you matter. Your life counts. Truth of the matter is, if we're just honest, can we be honest? Let's just be honest. We're in, we're in the presence of God. It's good to be honest. Truth of the matter is, the majority of us are more interested in what people will say about us than what God thinks about us. And Jesus says, think about your audience. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, let me make sure that you understand this. Jesus is not forbidding. Jesus is not forbidding public displays of faith, but displaying our faith for personal publicity. So we come together, and today you're going to see baptism. It is a public testimony of a life that's changed. Jesus isn't forbidding that. Jesus doesn't forbid that we gather together and worship. Jesus isn't forbidding the raising of hands. Jesus doesn't forbid public prayers. Jesus doesn't forbid that we do good for others so that when they see us, that that's not a bad thing, but it's where does all the attention go? Where are we focusing the attention? Is it about us or is it about 
him. The point isn't hide the good that you do all of the time. The point is this. Why are you doing what you're doing and for whom? God is to be the main witness because he is truly our only, only desire if we're followers of Christ. So, Jesus is saying you want to be healed from the disease to please. You need to determine your audience. And Jesus assumes, he's making this assumption that if we're living for the audience of one, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be practicing, we're going to be practicing certain disciplines, okay? If we live for God, and if he's our audience, what are some of the ways that we go about living for him, And what Jesus does is Jesus points out three spiritual practices that were very present in the life of the Jewish people of his day, but they had gotten distorted by super religious people. But he's making the assumption that you and I are going to practice these things as followers of Jesus. And what he does is he addresses the wrong way to do it, and then he talks about the right way to do it. So we're going to focus all on the wrong way, and then we're going to get to the right way. You with me? Here's the first spiritual practice. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, 2 through 4. So, whenever you give to the poor, the assumption is that the people of God will give to the poor. So, whenever you go about giving to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, again, assumption that we are going to practice generosity. When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This whole idea of giving to the poor and righteousness, they were considered synonymous. If you were a truly righteous person, You practiced generosity. That was one of the signs that you were a a righteous individual. Jesus is saying there is a wrong way to try to be righteous. There is a wrong way to practice generosity. And it may help you to know that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had a little ritual that they did before they would give. Now, They had offering boxes, not like our wooden boxes back here that you can just kind of drop something in. They would have had offering boxes that looked like a trumpet that was inverted, and it had a round top, and then they could like throw their gifts in so everybody could hear the sound of it. It would be like this. If you were to go to the the bank and you were to get a $100 bill in change, and you were to come, and we were going to be taking an offering, and it was a metal container, and you just started dumping your change in so everybody could see you. And some of the religious leaders actually had people that would blow trumpets before they would give. You know, here he is, rabbi hypocrite. Look how much money I have given. Now, here's the deal. None of us do that, right? I mean, you're not going to come in here and before you, you know, give electronically, you're not going to go, you know, have some kind of trumpet sound on your phone or back here before you give. We don't do that. But how often do we give with strings attached? I'm going to give. I want you to know that I gave because 
I'm going to expect reciprocity. I'm going to expect you to do something for me. That is a public way of giving. Or how often do we drop not-so-subtle indications of how generous we have been and how much sacrifice we have made. I'm not going to give unless I get my name on a building. I'm not going to give unless there is some kind of recognition. I've known some incredibly generous people in my life, the most generous people I know, the people who have given the most money, more money than I could ever hope to give in my lifetime because God has blessed them. They don't want anybody to know it's them. People who have the real gift of generosity, they don't want anybody to know. So Jesus talks about, listen, Practice the discipline of giving, but don't do it for personal attention. And then Jesus talks about prayer. He says, again, assuming we're going to do it, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Now, it wasn't surprising that Jesus would teach his disciples how to pray because that's what a good rabbi would do. People want to know, how do you go about doing the things that you do? The thing that would have astounded the crowd listening to Jesus is that he rejected all of the over-the-top ways that the listeners were familiar with the prayers of the religious people. I mean, some of the religious guys loved to pray in really dramatic ways. They would go to the street corner three times a day. And then they would hold up their hands before heaven and they would pray in a loud voice so that everybody could hear them. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do it for show. As a matter of fact, some of them would use as many adjectives as they could before the name of God thinking that if I compliment God enough, then maybe God will listen to me. One particular prayer, 23 adjectives before ever got to Yahweh, Jehovah. Now imagine for a minute, uh, you're my son, and you want something from me. And you come to me and you say, all wise, all loving, handsome, talented, strong, Lit father. Do you think that that's going to impress me? No, I don't need that. It's just like, hey, dad, that's all I need. I just need, and so that's all that the Lord is looking for. He isn't looking for thinking that we have to do all of this over the top, ostentatious stuff in order to be heard. Jesus is saying basically this, don't be hypocritical. Don't seek to be seen while praying, don't limit your praying to prayers in public, and don't use meaningless repetition. And then Jesus talks about one more thing, the, the practice of fasting. Whenever you fast, 
Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In the Old Testament, there were various kinds of fast, but typically there was only one that was required each year, only one required fast from the law, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Now, in addition to abstaining from food, people were to humble themselves, and, and they were to mourn, and they were to wear sackcloth. The Pharisees boasted, well, we, we fast more than once a year. We fast twice a week. Because they wanted everybody to know just how holy their behavior was. And this phrase, they disfigure their faces, refers to the Jewish practice of smearing ashes on your face, wearing grim expressions during a time of mourning and repentance and fasting. And although the, these acts were originally expressions of true, true repentance, what the religious leaders were doing in the day is they were they were striking a pose. They weren't really pursuing holiness. They just wanted the people around them to observe how holy externally they were. Now, Jesus has said, these are the wrong ways to give, to pray, and to fast. Let me give you some principles. When we practice these things, when we're living for an audience of one, we're going to do it with sincerity. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, cuts through to the heart. He's not looking for us to polish our image that's public. He's not looking for behavior modification. He goes, I want to know, where's your heart in all of this? I'm looking for purity of heart. And so when it comes to praying and to giving and to fasting, Jesus isn't looking for the performance, and he's not looking for, did you do it right? What he wants to know is, is your heart in the right place? A heart of sincerity that is intent on pleasing him. Here's the truth. Whatever we treasure has our heart. And if you and I treasure other people's opinion and approval, it will have our heart. But if God has our heart, the opinion and approval of others doesn't matter. And our praying and our giving and our fasting will represent that. So, sincerity. And then, secrecy. When Jesus talked about going into a private room to pray, you need to know that on the poor farms in Palestine in Jesus' day, they didn't have private bedrooms. And so if they were going to go into a private room, there was only one room in a house that would have a door and a lock on it, and that was the supply room. And that's where you kept the food and the supplies and maybe a small animal that was going to be food for the family at some point. It would be a room where nothing important happened. And yet, Jesus is saying, go into this place of secrecy, and where you think nothing important happens is where the most important thing in life happens. That's when you address God, and God addresses you. So, do you and I have a place, a sacred place that we can meet with God and carry on the important work of hearing Him? And then, 
there is this whole idea of simplicity. Jesus isn't looking for something difficult when it comes to to praying. He just wants us to give God our words. Keep it honest and keep it simple. Let me just say this. We aren't praying to impress other people and you don't have to pray in a way where you're trying to impress God. God doesn't need to be impressed. He just wants you. He wants your voice. He wants you to talk to him in honesty. So, here's where we're going. To get free from the disease to please, we need to determine our audience. Is the audience out there or is the audience up here? And then we need to practice the disciplines that help us engage the audience of one. And that's, at least in this passage, giving, praying, and fasting. And then we need to also examine our motives. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to hit on something that we've really kind of already hit on. But let me just say this. Everything that I read that Jesus is saying basically is raising this question. What is your motive? What motivates you and I to do what we do in this life, especially in the area of our life with God? What is the motivation that is driving us? Again, let's look at a few verses. In Matthew 6, 2, and these other verses that I'm going to give you, you're going to see the word hypocrite mentioned. Jesus mentions hypocrite 17 times. Jesus Jesus actually took a Greek term and Jesus coined it in the moral realm. He is the first person who is to take this particular Greek term for a play actor and apply it to the moral standards of life. Jesus coined that and he talks about we don't want you to be hypocrites and we don't want you to do things to be applauded by people. He's getting at the heart of motives. So he says, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. That's the motivation. Next verse. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Must not be like them because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, read it with me, to be seen by people. Then one more verse here. Verse 16, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is what? Obvious to people. Jesus gets at the heart and he's asking us to examine our motives. And he uses this term hypocrites. It would refer to an actor in a Greek play. And typically there would be one actor who would be playing several parts in a play, and so he would put up one mask for this particular part of the play, this character, and then he'd get another mask, and then he'd get another mask, and he'd get another mask. He was always pretending to be somebody that he truly wasn't. And Jesus says, don't be like that in terms of your relationship with God in this world. Don't put on all these different masks. Ask yourself, what is the motive behind what am I doing? Tim Keller says a hypocrite is this. It's an inconsistent person, a person who says one thing, does another, and knows 
that they are doing something wrong, but they put up a front. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're all hypocritical to a degree, but a true hypocrite is somebody who goes, I know the right thing to do. I know the wrong thing to do. I'm going to do the wrong thing and pretend it's the right thing. Because my motive is not pure. My motive is to be approved of. My motive is to be seen. Now, here's the deal. It is hard to see your own hypocrisy. Have you noticed that? Hello. It is hard to see it, right? We, we just went through a marriage conference this weekend that was absolutely one of the best marriage conferences I have ever been to. Paul David Tripp, how many of you went to that? That was outstanding. And one of the things that he talks about in marriage is that we need each other in marriage because we're blind to the things that we can't see or don't want to see. So this is what I would say we need in order to make sure that we are getting healed up from the disease of please, the need to please. When it comes to examining our own motives, we need to have people in our life who can be honest with us in a loving, courageous way and let us see what we can't see about some of the things that we do. Do you have people in your life that you can disclose your performance tendencies to and they will help you see what you cannot see and don't want to see, but they do it in a spirit of love? Now, you might be thinking, maybe the best way to deal with all of this is just don't do them at all. Let's just omit praying, let's omit fasting, let's omit giving because of the tendency that some of us have might be to do it for the wrong reason, but that's not what Jesus is driving at. Jesus is assuming that we're going to practice these disciplines from the right place for the right reason, for the right audience, because we have entered into the kingdom of God and the presence of God lives in us. And then finally, I would say this, determine your audience, practice the disciplines, examine your motives knowing that you can anticipate a reward. Jesus was contrasting the rewards. You can do things out of the wrong motives. You can do things so other people can see you, and you can receive your reward in full if that's what you're looking for. If all you want is the praise of people and you get it, it's like God is saying, as you wish. If that's what you wanted, there it is. You wanted people to notice you. You wanted people to affirm you. You wanted people to appreciate you. You wanted people to say that you mattered because you displayed your performance for that particular purpose. Here you go. You've received the sum total of your reward, if that's what you were looking for. But there's so much more when we live for an audience of one. And it's this. Verse 4, 6, and 18. When we do it for an audience of one, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me come back to something. I can tell you that people's approval and the applaud of others is both fleeting and fickle. I can tell you as a public person who spends my life teaching in public settings, I can receive some pretty stupendous, 
I feel undeserved words of affirmation. And I can also receive, on the same weekend, some pretty unfounded criticism. If I was living to say, hey, I just want you to applaud me and think that I'm okay, then I probably wouldn't teach some of the things we do around here because, you know what? My job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, right? I mean, I've had folks go, oh, man, you know, what you said, and I said, I just tried to get out of the way of Jesus. I'm letting Jesus do the one. He's the one. I just want to try and show us all of what Jesus has to say and what Jesus wants us to know. So let me just say this. You know this is true. If you've ever tried to just live to please other people, you know you can't ever figure it out. It's, it's this one day, it's something else the other day, and it's like a moving target, and, and you're trying to get it, and you can't. It's like trying to catch an elusive butterfly, and you're always going for it. But when you are doing what you're doing for the audience of one, he sees it and he will reward it. And the Bible is really clear that God is a rewarding God. And the Bible is really clear that what we do in this life, one day God is going to reward in the life to come. I don't even know what all of that means, but the Bible is really clear that God is going to reward his people. Now, I can't demand it. I'm not entitled to it. It is a grace gift that God gifts. I don't do good. I don't pray. I don't fast. I don't give and any other spiritual practices in order that I think maybe I can earn a reward from God. I don't do that to earn forgiveness. Forgiveness cannot be earned. Life with God cannot be earned. Life with God is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. There is no hint from Jesus that sins are forgiven through what we do or our good behavior. God doesn't compensate life with him for the good you do and the bad you stop doing. We are given life with him through the sheer act of his grace and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the resurrection, on our behalf. I don't know what the rewards in heaven will be, but I can tell you what I hope for more than anything else. I want to hear well done from the audience of one. That's what I want to hear. And I can tell you one more thing that when we train ourselves to live for the audience of one, we will spend less time striving for the affirmation of others. The reward of living for the audience of one is freedom from approval addiction, from the need to please. And when you get free from the need to please, you find that your life really does matter to the one who makes life matter. And you're always going to be noticed and liked by God because you're always in the presence of God. And you don't have to try to impress him. You just need to receive from him and live totally for him. Deal? Deal?